So I'm wondering, have you ever had the experience of being ashamed of being a Christian? It's happened to me many times in my life. The first time it ever happened, I still remember as if it were yesterday. I was sitting in my chemistry class as a sophomore in high school, and our teacher, to the whole group of 35 students, in sort of a sarcastic way, asked this question. She asked, how many of you actually believe that God created the world? And I raised my hand up in the air, and I looked around, and there was one other person in the class of 35 kids who had their hand raised, and my hand started doing this. I remember walking out of that class feeling a little bit down. Why had I been so timid? I realized, you know, as a Christian, there are going to be moments that come in my life where I can either be unashamed of the gospel or ashamed of it. In a similar way, Paul is writing this letter that we're studying together as a church to a friend and pastor of his by the name of Timothy, who was pastoring a church Paul had started. And in the passage we're looking at together this morning, if you're using notes, here is the thing we need to know here. Paul urges Timothy to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be unashamed. If you are just visiting with us today, we are doing a series in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy this fall, in a series we have called Endure. The Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this book. Many believe it was at the very end of his life while he's in prison, certainly awaiting his death. And like I said, he's written it to his friend and colleague and younger mentee, Timothy. And Timothy sometimes struggled with timidness. So Paul is encouraging, listen, times of testing are going to be coming your way, Timothy. Endure. Endure for the sake of Christ. And we have been saying that as a church as well. Times of testing are probably on the horizon for all of us who name the name of Christ. So we need to be ready to endure with Christ. Today, we may not be put into prison for speaking the gospel like Paul was, or actually Timothy would be later on in his life, but there are still ways we will be tested, yes? One of the ways is certainly going to happen when we are asked to stand up for the gospel like I was in that chemistry class, and when those moments come in our lives, and I'm believing they come for you sometimes, the question is, will I be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm saying a very churchy word a lot. You've heard it. I'm saying this word gospel over and over and over again. And maybe you've heard the word gospel. Maybe you grew up in the church and you know a little bit about what the word gospel means. But I want to tell you something this morning. My one goal for us before we leave today is that you would be able to, I would be able to walk out of this place with an understanding fully when we say the word gospel, what does it mean? And the reason for that is because in this section of 2 Timothy we're going to be looking at, we have one of the clearest descriptions of the gospel in the entire Bible. So that's my one prayer this week. You'll understand fully what the gospel is, that it won't just be a churchy word we use, but it will come to have meaning in your life. And what I'd love for us to do is something a little bit different than we normally do it. I'd love for us to actually open up our Bibles, and I want to read this entire passage together uh, for us to get started here. We're going to read this passage about the gospel. So we're in 2 Timothy, which is near the back of your Bible, chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we say this every 
every week. We'd love for you to join us uh, by following along in the book Bibles we have provided for you in the seat in front of you. And uh, you can find that quickly on page 832. 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 8. I've printed the first part of this on your notes there at the very top. I'm going to have you read that uh, out loud with me, and then I'll continue and read the rest of this passage. Are we ready? Let's say it together, starting in verse 8. It says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. I'll continue. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, Timothy, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phyglius and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word to us, and in it is the gospel. We remind ourselves this morning that you are the vine and we are simply the branches. Unless you choose to impart yourself to us now this morning, we will receive nothing. But we ask you as your branches to flow your life power, your life-giving power of the Holy Spirit in this place, in our hearts and in our minds. Show us fully the gospel. We prayed together in Jesus' great name. Amen. I would sum up this text. I'd sum up the gospel really in this sentence. It's there at the top of your notes. And it's simply this. The gospel is a gift and a call that demands a response. It's a gift and a call that demands our response. That's going to be our working definition this morning. So let's unpack that a little bit and talk about first the gift of the gospel. If you noticed, the very first thing Paul says about the gospel, and the reason we should not be ashamed of it, if you're following on your notes there, is number one, the gospel is the gift of God's salvation. Look at what he says in the first part of verse 9. I hope you keep your Bibles open too because we are uh, going to come back and forth in this. In verse 9 he says, he saved us. Apparently, we needed to be saved from a situation from which we could not save ourselves. You know what the situation was? It was sin. All human beings have turned their back in rebellion to God. But listen, the gospel says God provided a savior for our sin. Jesus Christ, Paul writes there, the salvation was given us in Christ Jesus. Listen, we are only saved. We sang about this. Because of Jesus' death on the cross in our place. He bore the wrath that we deserved. He took upon our punishment. And notice, 
This gift wasn't given because God was up in heaven biting his nails going, oh no, what am I going to do about all these human beings? It says this gift was from the beginning of time. From time eternal, God had had this amazing gift ready for us. The gift of the gospel. Listen, you will never understand when we say the word gospel in church unless you understand this first. Everything about the gospel is from God. Someone has said, God is the gospel. The gospel originated in God from time eternal. And listen, it was accomplished by God in Jesus Christ on the cross. It's all God. We ain't do nothing. That's number one. Now, of course, that leads to a question, I hope you have, which is why would God give us this gift? And that leads to the second thing we saw in this passage that Paul laid out. Paul says, if you're following, the gospel is a gift given completely of God's grace. Why did he have this idea from time eternal? It was given completely because of God's grace. You know, grace, the definition often used is it's undeserved favor. Given something we don't deserve. Notice what Paul says there. Immediately after he says God saved us, he says, not because of anything we have done, but because of his, in, his own purpose and grace. Ephesians 2, I think, says this more clearly than any other place in the New Testament. Can we read these words together up on the screen? It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, realize something about the person writing these amazing words. We're talking about Paul. If there was ever a guy who was going to earn it, you know what I mean? I mean, he was going to earn God's favor. It was Paul. He was as religious as they come. And still today, there's so many people, even in our church, who think it's about being religious. If I'm just good enough, if I just do enough for God, then he'll give me his favor. And then one day, this apostle Paul had the encounter with Christ. And he realized if that's really who God is, I have no chance at earning it. But in that same encounter, God showed him, Paul, what you have tried to earn, I give to you freely as a gift. It's called grace. It's why we say it's amazing. The heart of the gospel is this truth. God doesn't love you because of how hard you try for him or for what you do. God loves us because of who he is. God is love. God is grace. So listen, the gospel is not something you achieve. It is something you receive. It is a gift of God's grace. I've shared this openly with you uh, throughout my time as being a pastor. This took me a while to understand. The early part of my life in Christ was all about Paul's same idea that I had to be good enough to earn it. And man, I was good. I was a good kid. I was a pastor's kid, and I didn't even rebel. I mean, that's good, right? But I was exhausted, and I was defeated. I read verses like, you know, he's come to give me life and life to the full, and I would look at my life and go, no, this is just a lot of work. And then one day, like Paul, God revealed to me, as he only he can, Steve. Stop trying. 
stop trying so hard and just receive the gift I'm giving you in my grace. I'm going to say this again. Please hear it. The gospel is not based on anything you do. It's not on anything you have done. It's all his grace. Can we just say the word all together right now? Ready? One, two, three. All. It's all his grace. When are we going to stop striving to earn it? When are you going to stop striving to earn it and receive it as the gift that it is? The third thing that is crucial to understanding the gospel, if you're following there, is that the gospel is a gift revealed in the person of Jesus. I know, you're like, I I went to Sunday school, I heard this. Now listen to this. This is really important. The gospel is a historical fact based in an actual person who lived a real life, and his name was Jesus. In verse 10, Paul says, this grace has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. The gospel is about God becoming a man. It is about events that really happened in our history. It's about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. Therefore, the gospel stands in contrast to other religious systems that basically say, well, it's, a, it's an idea or it's a philosophy. I mean, there are other forms of Christianity that say this, right? It's, it's about having the right philosophy or about having the right... No, no, no. The gospel is a person. A person who really lived, who really walked this earth in a human body. He preached, he taught, he healed, he died, and he rose again. Without that, there is no gospel. The gospel is God becoming visible and touchable and allowing us access to him like we could never have before. This is why Paul says later, I'm unashamed of the gospel. Why? Read what he says. In verse 12 there, in your gray box, he says, I know whom I have believed. Can you just circle that word, whom? Notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, I know in what I have believed. In the idea of Jesus. No. Nor does he say, I know a lot about who I believe. He says, I know whom I have believed. I know Jesus. So listen to me. Salvation isn't because you believe certain right doctrines. It's not about praying the right prayer. It's not even about being baptized. It's not about growing up in a Christian family. Those things are good. Don't hear me say that's not good. Those are good things. They're sometimes responses. Sometimes they're just gifts God has given us. But we are saved only by the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I know this person. I know him intimately and personally. And the good news of the gospel is we can too. You can know God personally and intimately. The gospel is a relationship. Do you know him? The fourth thing we need to know about the gospel and why it's such good news, if you're following there, is that the gospel is a gift of new life. This is like some of the good stuff coming here, right? It's the gift of new life. Notice what Jesus accomplished in verse 10. It says, he has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, that word destroyed death doesn't mean that death doesn't exist anymore. What it means is that in the resurrection, Christ has robbed death of all of its power over us. Before the resurrection, death was it. 
It was to be feared, and rightly so. But now, because of the resurrection, as a Christian, we say to be absent from the body? (sighs) Who cares? That's to be present with the Lord. Jesus ended death's grip in our lives. You know, we're all going to still die. But there's hope. There's hope in the gospel that death doesn't have the final say. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, death has been swallowed up in victory. I like that. In the resurrection, it just got swallowed up, and that's why we can proclaim with Paul these words from 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Let's say this out loud like we are actually glad about it. It says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Amen. There is no victory now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last thing this passage tells us about the gift of the gospel is that the gospel is a gift of eternal security. Hear this, Christian. God doesn't just save you and then leave you to fend for yourself. Good luck. No. I love verse 14. He says, I'm convinced that God is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Your salvation will not come and go because it is guarded by God himself. And God is always faithful to keep his promises. Whether we're faithful is another question. But God is always faithful. And Paul was certain that God would guard his life even in the face of suffering. So here it is. The gospel is a gift. It is initiated by God in the person, the actual historical person of Jesus Christ. God become flesh, gives us new life and eternal security. That's a pretty good gift. That's a pretty good gift. Have you received it? And yet, that's not the whole of the gospel. Throughout the New Testament, whenever the gospel is spoken of, there's always this element of how it's going to actually affect the way we live our lives, right? I think about it this way. Let's say I gave you a present. It was nicely wrapped, a gift. I gave you this amazing gift, just this beautiful bow and and wrapping paper and everything. I handed it to you, and you received the gift, and then you put it up on a shelf, and you never actually opened it and used it. I would be thinking, you don't know what the purpose of a gift is. And while every metaphor breaks down in a similar way, friends, we've been given this amazing gift. And God's expectation for us is we're going to open it. Like we're going to actually use this thing, this new life we have in Christ. And in this passage, Paul talks about four ways that we're going to use it. Number one, the gospel calls us to holiness. Sometimes people have reduced the gospel, I think especially in the Western world, because we kind of like this. The gospel is this forgiveness of sins, and it is that. But it's also a summons to holiness. It's a summons to walk in the way of the Lord. The gospel saves us from sin, amen, and it calls us to holiness. Notice, even Paul says in verse 9, he saved us. I didn't read all of it, though, did I? What, What else does it say there? It's on your notes. And called us to a holy life. Or I like how Ephesians 4.1, he puts it, let's read that out loud together. It says, 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, before you go and think this is some bait and switch, I thought you just told me it was a gift. Notice the order. I want to live a life worthy of the gift that I have received. I'm not earning some gift. I'm living a life worthy of the gift. It's because of the gift I'm compelled to live differently now, right? It's like receiving that present. When I receive the gift of the gospel, I'm taking it out of the box. And one of the ways we do that is by living a life of holiness. This is why part of what we mean when we say on our banner over here, on my right, you know, that we are declaring war as a church on shallow Christianity. Part of that means we're declaring war on this thing called cheap grace. Have you ever heard of this? That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it, cheap grace. Cheap grace says, well, God has saved me, so now I can live however I want. And we see this everywhere, everywhere in our country. Real grace, though, says, mature Christianity says, God has saved me, so I can do whatever he wants now. For his glory, for his name. Now, what does it mean to live a holy life? It means you have to be perfect from this day forward. (laughs) Of course not. We're all going to fall short. Amen? I'm the worst of sinners, Paul said. I agree. What it is, though, it's stopping, it's turning away from viewing life through my own self-centered perspective, because that's really what it all comes down to, right? Life through my lens, and it's starting to view my life through God's lens. That means in everything. Every area of my life, what I eat, what I drink, what I watch, who I relate to, how I relate to them. It means viewing life from God's perspective. A holy God, we cried, holy, holy, holy. Viewing life from his perspective, not from my selfish ambitions. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. Pretty straightforward to the point. If you love me, Keep my commands. Open the box. Open the gift and live it out. Second, the gospel calls us to unashamedly tell others the gospel. Uh Uh-oh, this is where we start to squirm. This is where the whole unashamed or ashamed thing comes in, at least for me. Paul started the whole thing. Remember, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. What's the testimony? The gospel. It's the gospel. Now, why would the gospel be a cause for shame? Now, realize something. When Paul's writing this in this day, like 2,000 years ago, uh, the idea of Christ crucified was a major stumbling block for people. Paul, in other places, calls it foolishness. I mean, think about the message of the gospel. Timothy, preach the gospel. Preach that a Jewish carpenter who claimed to be God laid his life on a cross, which was considered to be the most terrible way to die, And because he did that, tell them people's sins can be forgiven. Can that be a cause for some embarrassment? A cause for some shame? You better believe it. And for both the Jews and the Greeks, crucifixion was the ultimate sign of disgrace and dishonor. And yet Paul is urging Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the message. Don't be timid. Can we still be ashamed of the message today? I can be. We live in a day and age, I'm telling you right now, right, where tolerance is the highest of all virtues. So for us to say that the only way to God is through Jesus, 
Can that cause some friction sometimes? And I can look at my own heart and I know sometimes I'm afraid to say that. I'm ashamed to say that. And that comes from a place of, I care more what other people think about me than I do about the message of the gift of the gospel. I'm I'm believing we all probably struggle with this from time to time. But Paul says, don't be ashamed of this gift. Communicate it to others. You are to be one who brings this message to others. I love the word Paul uses to describe himself. He calls himself three things. One of them is a herald. Now, we don't have heralds anymore today. I mean, there are people named herald, but a a herald, in this case, you know what a herald was? was somebody who would go into cities and proclaim a message from a king. Does a herald have any authority in and of himself? No. Just a person giving a message. But because they represent the king, the king has the authority. And so what they say does have power. And it does have authority in a similar way. Listen right now. Relax, because you will never be able to make someone believe. Even right now, there are some in this room, I guarantee, who think everything I'm saying is foolishness. And I can try really hard to convince you. I can come up with the best. No. I am a herald of the message of the king, and the king is the only one who has the power to change someone's life. That's why in Acts 1.8, I have on your notes there, Jesus' last words to his disciples was this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Notice the order. It's not, hey, go be my witnesses. And then maybe, no. My power is the only thing you got to do this thing. So don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. He's with you. He wants to help us. Thirdly, the gospel calls us to suffer for Christ. Now, I know when I say the word suffer in the United States, we immediately start thinking about health issues. And while that is a form of suffering, it's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about actually facing persecution for telling others about the gospel. In verse 12, he said, that is why I am suffering as I am. Why, Paul? Why are you suffering? Because he's preaching the gospel. Jesus himself warned us, listen, if you really choose to follow me, you better expect the same kind of persecution that I experienced. I love when God calls Paul on the Damascus road. He sends Ananias to him. And among other things, you know one of the things Ananias tells him? Have you ever read this story? Go tell him how much he must suffer for my name. Yay, the gospel. Elsewhere in the New Testament, though, Paul encourages the Colossians by telling them that suffering for the gospel is a privilege and a cause for rejoicing. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Later in this book, we're going to see in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Suffering, rather than being removed by the gospel, is a part of the gospel. Now, why would Paul need to write this to Timothy? Because there were actually people in Timothy's church that Paul had started who were teaching that Paul was actually not really filled with the Holy Spirit because he was in prison. You see, they were teaching that the final resurrection had come, and if those who had experienced that, they wouldn't be in prison. They they would be free of all troubles. Believe the gospel, and your troubles just disappear. You know, there's some people who still teach this today, right? Right? 
Believe in the gospel and your troubles just will vanish like that. What? That's not what Jesus promised us. Now listen, this doesn't mean that we should go out and look for persecution. I know people like that. Stop it. (laughs) It's just saying, listen, if we're going to be faithful to this thing, if we're going to live it out, get ready for times of testing. Philippians 1.29 says this. Can we just read this uh, out loud together? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That just blows my mind. The gift is not just believing in him and being saved, but there's a gift that comes with suffering for him. This is why we're learning to endure. This is why we're learning to endure. And then fourthly, the gospel calls us to keep and guard God's word. Earlier we talked about, you know, the call to holiness. Well, where do we learn to live holy lives? Where do we learn about that? Right here. Right? We look at the teachings of Jesus. We look at the life of Jesus. We learn from them. It's an interesting word Paul says here. He says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. That word sound teaching is, uh, is one word in Greek, and we get from it the English derivative healthy. So think about what Paul's saying here. He's saying there can be healthy teaching and there can be unhealthy teaching. Is that true? Are there sometimes unhealthy teaching that makes its way in the church? What happens when we receive unhealthy teaching? We become unhealthy. So Paul's like, make sure you keep to the pattern of healthy teaching. And don't just keep it. Guard it with your life. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You remember several years ago when Tylenol had somebody like break into the bottles and they tampered with it and they put some poison in there. Remember that? Now we, the result of that is we have these bottles that are impossible to open. So thank you person for tampering with Tylenol. Now I can't even get my medicine. In the similar way, for over 2,000 years now, there have been people who have tampered with the gospel. You can tamper with something in two ways. You can either add something or you can subtract something and both are happening. Think about it, right? There are people who have added things to the gospel for years. We studied the letter of Galatians together. You remember what those teachers were teaching to that church? That you must be circumcised if you really would consider yourself to be saved. That's adding something to the gospel. And we are still hearing teachings today that you've got to have this experience or you've got to have this happen to your life if you really consider yourself to be saved. On the other hand, we've had people tamper with the gospel by subtracting from it, and this is going on everywhere, right? Do we really need to say Jesus is the only way and the truth and the life? You know where people will always subtract from the gospel? You know where they're always going to start? With Jesus' deity. I can't have really been God. That's subtracting from the gospel. I could go on and on. You can subtract this morality. Well, it doesn't really mean that for today. That was 2,000 years. I mean, on and on. People have tampered with the gospel. But Paul, elsewhere in this letter, I mean, we're going to get a lot more into God's word in this letter. If you've ever read 2 Timothy, you know. It's like, if you want to endure, keep this word. Guard it with your life. And the last thing I love about that verse, though, it says, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us now. I just want you to hear something real clear. If you've been sitting here during this whole part about the call of the gospel and you're going, oh no, how am I going to ever possibly do this? Let me put that to rest right now. You're not. 
You can't possibly live out the call of the gospel in your own power. But you know what? Even the call comes with a gift. That's how good our God is. And the gift is the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory, who wants to help you live out the call of the gospel. Is why we call it good news. Amen? It's some real good news. So there you have it. The gospel is a call and it's a gift and that leads to the last thing that just needs to be said is that it always demands a response. If you're following on your notes, there is no neutral position with the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 12, whoever is not for me is against me. There's no neutral. That's why at the end of this section we read, you might have thought it was kind of weird. Like what was that whole deal with verses 15 through 18 where Paul's talking about these people with really crazy names? I thought I did a pretty good job pronouncing them, by the way. So uh, I don't see many Onisiphoruses being named on the baby organ uh, roses thing anymore. But what's the deal with that? Well, Paul is giving an example here. There's no neutral position with the gospel. And so in verse 15, he gives the example, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Figlius and Hermogenes. I think that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Paul was arrested in Asia, modern-day Turkey today. He's looking back at that incident, and he declares, everybody left my side. Why? Because they were ashamed. Some people have, you know, said, well, here's why Paul names these two specific guys. You know why I think he names those two guys? Because of all the guys who had deserted him, those were the two he was like, I can't believe it. Of all people, you would leave me? They were ashamed of the gospel, and yet... He goes on to say about Onesiphorus, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So unashamed was Onesiphorus that he sought Paul out in the Roman dungeons and he ministered to him. He was unashamed. We've all heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding. I have no idea what that actually means. (laughs) But we actually know what the meaning is for us, right? It means you can't say you believe something and then not live it out. Because then you never really believed it. That's the, that's the truth of the gospel. If you're following on your notes, our lives are the proof of our belief. That's why it always demands a response. There's no neutral. Either you are ashamed of it or you are unashamed of it. What about you? Times of testing are going to come. Are we going to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'd like to end with these words from a young preacher from Zimbabwe and then a question. I'm going to put these words up on the screen. In fact, I'm going to have these playing throughout our time of communion as well because, man, these just inspire me to live out the call. But this preacher said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision's been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. What about you? If you're on your notes, am I an unashamed disciple of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, you can be today. Let's pray. Lord, I believe there's so many different people going through so many different things in this room right now. And there is one group of people, I believe, who are here and for the first time in their lives, you have revealed to them that they have to stop trying so hard. 
that they need to turn away uh, from their self-righteousness, that they need to turn away from their self-seeking ways, from their rebellion, from their disobedience, and simply turn to you now, and by faith receive the gift of the gospel. So Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace to do that. And cleanse them with the forgiveness of your sin. Reveal to them the new life that awaits them. A life of eternal security. There are other people in this room, Lord, and I include myself in this, who have received that amazing gift. And we needed to be reminded today to be unashamed of the call. We need to remind ourselves of the call to holiness of the call to tell others the gospel, of the call to suffer for your name, and of the call to live by these healthy words. So God, we pray even in this, you would equip us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who will help us in all these things. And now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, let us use this time to declare, just like this young preacher from Zimbabwe, that I am a part of the unashamed. In Jesus' name, amen.